All right, we've had a bit of luck here in Sacramento in that at the California State Museum located in the Capitol building, there's currently an exhibit about the Spanish-American War. The exhibit is titled, This Means War, based upon a famous Hearst Press headline. And Radio Parallax was not one to let this opportunity pass. So this correspondent uh, made a trip down to speak with some very helpful and friendly people, Debbie Hollingsworth and Bruce Steiny. And uh, we got ourselves a nice recording of a walkthrough of the museum and description of some of the items there, which we will play for you now, Mr. McMillan. We're here at the California State Capitol Museum with Debbie Hollingsworth, who is quite the, is the historian of record for this exhibit. And Debbie, what's your official title? I'm a park interpretive specialist. All right, very good. We are looking at, uh, I guess, is the William Randolph Hearst corner of this exhibit? <laughs> well, the exhibit is actually based on a quote from William Randolph Hearst. Uh, the, the, the title of the exhibit is This Means War, based on the night when William Randolph Hearst came home after being out for the evening and his butler said you have a call from the office and he called his editor and his editor said there's important news and Hearst said what's the important news and his editor said the battleship Maine blew up in Havana Harbor tonight and Hearst said good heavens what are you doing with the story and he said well we're putting it on the front page and Hearst said, what else are you putting on? And, and, he, and his editor said, all the other important news. And Hearst said, there is no other important news. Spread it across the first page. This means war. And we thought that was just a perfect way to describe this exhibit. And, and about the Spanish-American War, the Philippine-American War, and uh, California's role in the war. People, uh, I think, know that uh, Hearst did his agitating to try and get American of the War from the New York papers, but of course he's a California boy, and uh, actually I guess he started his newspaper career with the San Francisco Examiner? He is, yes. He started with the San Francisco Examiner um, when he actually did not graduate from Harvard University. He dropped out, and he wanted to run the paper in San Francisco because he'd been watching what Pulitzer was doing with the world in New York, and he thought that he could make a success of the examiner. So his father had the paper and gave him the paper and he took off with it and ran and made changes basically by making big headlines, pictures, the same things that they were doing in the, in the New York papers. And that's, that's really what's, what yellow journalism is, sensational journalism is big headlines and big pictures and not a lot of facts to back up. Something that is very much still with us today. <laughs> you could say that. <laughs> Well, of course, uh, we should mention that uh, that the Hearst family is well known from the Hearst Castle in California. Correct. It's the same William Randolph Hearst. He's from California, and State Parks has the uh, Hearst Castle. We talked with Evan Thomas about about the Maine, and uh, the the studies seem to clearly show that these many years later, this was an accident, but that was not how it was portrayed by Hearst and others. There were a lot of people who agitated for war, Hearst included, because he could sell papers. Um, and uh, Theodore Roosevelt was another person who believed in going to war. And so there were a lot of people. McKinley tried to step back and, and approach things from a dip diplomatic manner, but he got a little overrun with just the sentiment of the nation at, at the time. 
never was proven that, that the Spanish or that, that the ship was blown up. Um, it probably wasn't, but it's, it still is a mystery today. Blown up by outside forces, I mean. Well, maybe we should step into it in where you've got some, uh, some flags, I guess, that were captured in the conflict. We, we do. We have uh, an authentic Rough Riders uniform and uh, one of the Spanish flags that they captured. Do we know where this Cuba. flag came from? It's from Cuba. Um, actually, we have someone else that's a little bit more knowledgeable on this aspect of the exhibit. Well, let's introduce then Bruce okay. Steiny, who's apparently knows about the hardware here. Bruce, what is your title here? I'm the acting director here at the museum. All right, and do you know where we got this uh, this souvenir flag? Well, these items on exhibit here, this actual authentic Rough Rider uniform that belonged to one of the Rough Riders who actually served in Cuba and charged up San Juan Hill. Uh, Roger Fitch was his name, and he was from New York. And these are on loan from the Las Vegas, uh, New Mexico City Museum, where the Rough Riders used to hold their annual reunions, and the guys would bring their things and donate it to the city. And there's a museum in the town of Las Vegas, New Mexico, based on this collection. And a lot of these things were given to the museum in the city years and years ago, and there's not a lot of what we call provenance. They didn't get the story. But the flag was, uh, it's a section of a Spanish flag that uh, one of the Rough Riders brought back from Cuba as a souvenir. And how many Californians were enlisted in this effort in 1898? Well, in the Rough Riders, which is a, you know, the most famous unit from the war, we found at least 12 of the Rough Riders were from California, including one of their, one of the, uh, what Roosevelt called his best sharpshooters was a Californian. Uh, also, California raised volunteer units, and uh, over a thousand Californians actually uh, went into combat in the Philippines. And the flags behind us here, you have two rather large flags. Tell us about these. These flags are from the Capitol Collection of flags from the Civil War, Spanish-American War, and World War I of California units that served in those conflicts. And uh, we have them on exhibit here for a year. And this is the first, this one here is the first California regiment who saw combat in the Philippines. And this is a heavy, this flag is from the heavy artillery unit that also saw combat in the Philippines. And I got people don't realize, and they think of the Spanish-American War, it wasn't over that quickly. The, the insurgency in the Philippines well, went on for quite a while. I guess Debbie would talk about that. <laughs> it did, it started with uh, Dewey defeating the Spanish fleet in, um, in the Philippines. And that started the war because he needed backup to help take the, the city of Manila. And that's when the call for volunteers went out. So the, the war actually continued. That was part of the Spanish-American War. It continued through August. Signed the peace treaty in December. And then the insurgency stepped up in February of 1899. Uh, they were a little upset because of the peace treaty that was signed in December. They felt that America was there to help them get their land from Spain, and when they realized that America wasn't turning the Philippines over to them, they were a little upset, and that was the insurgency, which really continued 
The, the main fighting stopped in 1902, but it really continued various battles and fights for another 10 years after that. And there really were, over the years, quite a few casualties of American losses in, in that uh, prolonged engagement. There were, most of the casualties came from disease. Thousands of, of you know, died from the, the jungle diseases that, that the men had to deal with, more than, more than the actual fighting casualties. Looking at uh, some of the, the reconstructions, I guess, of the uniforms, Bruce. This is uh, this is this is what the Rough Riders were wearing. Uh, their full standard gear. Yes, this is a reproduction Rough Rider uniform that we have on exhibit on a mannequin, so that people can see what it would have looked like when somebody was wearing it. And because it's a reproduction on loan from a reenactor, we can we don't have to put it behind glass, and, and people can get up close to it and see what it, what they, the soldiers actually would have looked like when they were dressed in the uniform. And you have a really uh, nice, uh, nicely dressed out, uh, uh, I guess, cavalry mount here. Yes, we have a very nice, uh, very realistic looking fiberglass horse here. <laughs> and he's outfitted as Teddy Roosevelt's horse, Little Texas. That's the horse that Teddy Roosevelt rode up Kettle Hill, uh, led the charge of the Rough Riders on. And it's uh, all decked out in very authentic reproduction um, gear from the Spanish-American War. Well, I'm guessing, Bruce and Debbie, that this probably was the last hurrah of cavalry in, in, uh, in engagements, was it? Or in fact, uh, mostly the Rough Riders were a cavalry unit, but when they went to Cuba, they left their horses behind, except for the officers. And so the only man mounted that day was Teddy Roosevelt, and then the Rough Riders fought on foot as infantrymen. As we see these pictures, we picture the Rough Riders riding up the hill, but it's, I guess, was just Teddy. It was just Theodore Roosevelt. He was he led the men up the hill with the bullets whizzing past him. It's amazing that he survived. <laughs> so we're in another display here showing some of the actual rifles and in least case one pistol that were used in the conflict. Uh, uh, tell us about these arms. Yes, these are the arms that the United States Army was equipped with when we went to war in 1898. The Army had recently switched over to a modern magazine rifle and the one on top here is the Craig Jorgensen that was used by the infantry units during the war. We had a very small army, only 28,000 men in the regular United States Army at the beginning of the war, so there weren't enough of these modern weapons to go around, so most of the volunteer units and some of the Buffalo Soldier units were equipped with this more antiquated weapon. It still fired a black powder cartridge and was a single-shot rifle, and actually the Californians that went to war, the volunteers, were, were a great disadvantage by going into battle against the Spanish, who were all equipped with a modern uh, German Mauser rifle. So our boys, uh, you know, fire black powder, which gave away their position, and it's a much lower rate of fire with this antiquated weapon. Well, I must say, Bruce, I'm not an expert on firearms, but the, uh, the, the more modern rifle you're showing me looks like something that they might have used maybe even in World War II, but this older version looks like something out of a Western movie. Yes, it is. It was used, this rifle basically, only slight modifications from right after the Civil War all the way up to the Spanish-American War. So it's, it was quite an antiquated weapon at the time of the Spanish-American War. And you have a smaller rifle here. I guess this is a carbine, one that may be used by someone on horseback? Yes, carbines were developed for use by cavalry units. They were much shorter, smaller, lighter weapons to be carried on horseback. This is the Craig Jorgensen carbine. It's an 1899 model, and this, uh, the Rough Riders carry the 1896 model of this carbine, which is only slightly different from this one. So this is the kind of weapon the Rough Riders carried up San Juan Hill. And these were considered 
adequate for the task? These were adequate for the task. They were never considered as good as the, the rifle the Spanish were equipped with, which was the German Mauser. And this, this uh, Craig Jorgensen actually had a pretty short life in the U.S. Army and was replaced by the 1903 Springfield. It's really only about like three and a half feet long, so you can see it wouldn't necessarily have the accuracy of a longer weapon. No, I it doesn't have the accuracy of, of the full-size rifle. And so it, it put the Rough Riders at a little bit of a disadvantage. We have also a Colt 1909 Army Revolver. So 1909 Army Revolver, and this was actually very similar to the 1895 revolver that was used in most of the war. And this was actually um, created because there were complaints from troops in the Philippines that the 38 caliber 1895 didn't have enough what they called knockdown power, so they, they redesigned it in a, in a 45 caliber version, and specifically for use in the Philippines. And I gather that was the standard sidearm for the armed forces then for, what, a century or? No, only for a couple of years. Oh, this really? was kind of a stopgap measure. And then we went to the, the gun that was used for over 40 years, which was the Colt 45 automatic pistol. And Debbie, you have a, a nurse's uniform here from the era. What's, what's the story with that? This is a reproduction uniform of what a Red Cross nurse might have worn during the war. This really brings in the whole role of California. The soldiers came from all over the country, and they were based in the Presidio, and they shipped out to the Philippines from here. Whereas other states would have their volunteer soldiers and their Red Cross units would take care of their own state soldiers. In California, the California Red Cross took care of all of the nation's soldiers. Some soldiers showed up without shoes, they didn't have uniforms, they, they, they needed so many supplies because the Army was pretty ill-prepared to send everyone off to war. So in California and in San Francisco in particular, the city was very well prepared to take care of the 80,000 soldiers that came through here. They greeted them when they arrived um, at the ferry building. They fed them, uh, gave them flowers. The men marched across town, sometimes with flowers in their rifles or in their hats. They were very well fed and happy, happy about that and they camped at the Presidio. The Red Cross women took care of them there, set up hospital units, again fed them, and also saw that they had enough food when they shipped out to the Philippines. They claimed to have invented the dog tag. They had this little silver dollar size tag with a name because this was one problem in identifying the soldiers after the Civil War. So the San Francisco Red Cross ladies sent each soldier off with this little tag. And then um, the, the Army picked up that, that practice in World War I. So they lay claim to inventing the dog tag. Wow. So, Bruce, you also have an exhibit here. It says, after the war, with what looks like sort of a buckskin kind of arrangement, something out of a, it looks like a Wild West show. Well, what is this? Well, it actually is out of a Wild West show. Uh, I think it can be said that this was one of America's most popular wars, especially the Cuban campaign. It was short. It was over quickly. There weren't a, hot, a lot of United States casualties. And so it was very popular. And after the war, a number of the Rough Riders um, they, they toured with Buffalo Bill's Wild West show, and we have a photograph of some of those men. Indeed you do. And they would reenact the charge of San Juan Hill in the show. <laughs> and this is... <laughs> a pretending that all of them had made the charge, not just Teddy by himself. Yes. Okay, well, it was better theater. And this is, this is what we believe is one of Buffalo Bill's show coats. It's from State Parks Collections. 
We also, uh, the men who serve were very proud of their service. There were a lot of reunions. Yeah. We have some memorabilia from the Rough Riders reunions, uh, the first one in Las Vegas, New Mexico. They had the 30th one on the anniversary of the Battle of Las Guasimas at the Roosevelt Hotel in Hollywood, California. And we have a program from that reunion and a photograph of the men. Now they're all in their 50s and 60s sitting down for a dinner at the reunion. Did, were the veterans of foreign wars, did that come about in the wake of the Spanish-American War? Do you, do you know? You know, I'm not sure of that. I, I think the veterans of foreign wars, my, I, I always think of that as like after World War II, but I'm not positive about when that was established. And, and Debbie, a very interesting part about this whole conflict was that uh, in co Congress, I guess, uh, established a formation of some African-American regiments known as the Buffalo Soldiers, and they were involved in the conflict in Cuba and the Philippines. They were. They were among the first to be called. It was believed that they were immune to the diseases that in, in, the, in Cuba and the Philippines, they were actually called the immune troops, which of course was not true, but they were called and they served very bravely. Five uh, Buffalo soldiers actually received the Medal of Honor. They fought with Roosevelt at, the, at, at San Juan and uh, they served both in Cuba and in the Philippines. Chaplain Alan Allensworth was the chaplain of the 24th and 25th Infantry, and he accompanied the men to the Philippines. And at State Parks, we have the town that he established in Allensworth, California. So I, we I, have get, I gather Park he came site. back and established it was, it was a black community yes, down the San Joaquin Valley. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, and I guess the town is still there, and people can go uh, see it as part of your state park system. That's right. It's, it is a state park. All right. And final item in our, in our visit to the museum, you have a, a display here of some California regiments that I guess were not able to see action and none too happy about that. <laughs> well, as we mentioned in the flag collection, the first, the first California regiment did serve in the Philippines. But there was such a call for volunteers. The men there were very anxious to serve and to go and fight, but not all of them were able to go. Um, in fact, about one-fifth of the men that volunteered to fight never saw action. Okay, and you've got some photos here showing some tents, I guess, at the Presidio at with San Francisco Presidio, Bay in the background. Yes, uh-huh. They, they stayed at the Presidio. The mobilization for Cuba was in Tampa, and there, was, there were a lot of problems in Tampa. But at the Presidio, they were very capable of handling the influx of all the troops. Even so, disease spread, there were unsanitary conditions. A lot of men were sick, a lot of men died. Just Even if they hadn't gone over and served, they died of disease. The 7th California never left California's shores. Uh, they, they waited and waited and waited for their orders to leave. And it turns out that about eight of the men actually died and they never even served fighting in the war. They were a Southern California unit and they were, their Southern California was very proud of them and still built a monument to them even though they never left California to fight. Debbie and Bruce, I want to thank you both for speaking with us today. I guess this exhibit's going to be here for quite a while. This will be here till May 31st of 2011, and then it will be followed by an exhibit on California's role in World War I and California volunteer units and the flags of those units. And so we, we think that will be another very interesting exhibit. Very good. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. And I should add, this exhibit is open seven days a week in the state capitol, and it's free. All right, our thanks to Debbie Hollingsworth and Bruce Steiny of the California State Museum and, of course, Newsweek editor and author Evan Thomas.
not to mention our old pal, Will Durst. And we're going to see what we can do to bring you American legend Charles Yeager on next week's program as we near the 4th of July holiday. We very much enjoyed our chat with General Yeager, and we're sure that you will too. This program was produced by Everett McMillan. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. We'll see you next week at the same time.